Today we're going to continue in a series that we started a few weeks ago called Battles and Blessings. And really the goal of this series over the last few weeks has been to learn how to live with bold and courageous faith uh, in, in everyday life. And the reason why that that conversation has probably been relevant for a lot of us is because uh, that's kind of what it takes to, uh, to live in an era like the one we live in, in the generation that we live in, to be faithful and courageous to the things that God is leading us to do. It sometimes takes some strength and some courage. And, uh, and so uh, it's been fun getting to jump into that conversation. And the way that we've been framing our talks is really we've been looking at the life of a guy named Joshua who lived about 3,400 years ago. And, uh, and we've been looking at his life to learn how to live faithfully in every season, whether it is a season of victory or a season of challenge. How do we live faithful lives? And, and this has sort of been Joshua's stories, story over the last few weeks. Joshua was a slave for about 40 years in Egypt. Then he became an assistant to one of the legendary leaders of Israel. His name was Moses. And then eventually Joshua was thrust into leadership. Uh, this past summer, a, a group of us from the church got to attend a leadership conference. And one of the guys that was speaking at the conference, his name was Pat Gelsinger. And some of you may recognize that name. Uh, he used to be the CEO of VMware. And uh, when he was the CEO of VMware, me and my buddy, we tried to get him to support our church plant uh, several years ago. Now, he did not uh, decide to do that, which is very, uh, you know, you, sometimes you got to make hard decisions in life. But, um, but he did start a church planting fund the very next year. And so me and my friend like to take credit for that, that we've also helped other churches get planted uh, when, when we were told no. Uh, but, but the reason why I bring up Pat Gelsinger is because uh, at this conference, he shared a little bit of his story. And his story was growing up in the Midwest on a farm. And he grew up and he said, I'm never going to work on a farm again. I don't want any part of it. And he just happened to be really good at mathematics and as an engineer. And so he applied for an internship at Intel here in the Bay Area, got the internship. And over the course of 30 years, he slowly worked his way through the organization. He was a team lead and then a manager. And really, he played a significant role in a lot of the most important uh, chips, microchips, that Intel produced. And today, he serves as the CEO. And that was essentially Joshua's story. He, it was like this rags to riches story. He went from being a slave, and then God positioned him for influence uh, among his own people. And what was interesting is that when Joshua assumed leadership in Israel, God told him two things. The first thing that he said is, he said, Joshua, I want you to know that I'm going to be with you wherever you go. Wherever your, whatever land your foot touches, I will give to you. I am with you in the same way that I was with Moses. Essentially, that is what God was telling Joshua. He said, I, I'm with you. This is my part. He said, but your part is to be strong and, to, and courageous because the things that I am calling you into are going to require you to have strength and courage. And uh, over the last few weeks as we've been looking at that, that's been a little bit of an encouragement to me to know that sometimes when life gets hard and challenges come our way and our faith is being tested, that does not mean that we are outside of God's will for our life. Oftentimes, some of the most challenging circumstances are the spaces that God has led us into. And that's been the case for Joshua. When you look at his first week on the job, uh, the, one of the first things that he had to do is he had to send out two spies into Jericho, and, and there was a high likelihood that they would not make it back alive, and it was only by God's grace and his provision that they did. Uh, 
And it's also interesting to know that Joshua was one of only two leaders that uh, was commissioned to spy out the land who came back with a positive report in a previous generation. The other 10 came back with a negative report. So Joshua had to have the discerning ability to select the right people who would come back and give a good report of the land. And that's what he did with these two spies. They came back and they gave a positive report. The second thing that Joshua was tasked to do is he had to lead the people of Israel through the Jordan. There were 1.5 million people that he set up, he communicated a plan, he said, this is how God wants to do it, and we're gonna walk straight through that Jordan. And if you've ever taken a risk before in your life, uh, you know that, that sometimes your circumstances do not seem to suggest that what you're doing makes any sense. And I just imagine as Joshua had sent the priest ahead of him with the Ark of the Covenant, and that river is 100 feet wide, and it's over 10 feet deep, and that current is flowing strong, and he's thinking, Lord, I just hope in this moment you show up. And this was the beautiful part. God did. God did show up. And so uh, today, I want to talk about the power of remembering the past. The power of remembering the past. Uh, came across a book recently. And the book was, is called The Gap in the Game. And it was written by a guy who coached CEOs and other uh, high-capacity leaders. And he, and he noticed that there was this weird tension about this unique group of people. He said, on the one hand, they sort of fulfilled every metric of success that you would think someone desired. They were financially successful. They were well-educated. They had a lot of influence. They've achieved a lot of things. And he said, so, so if you're observing their life from the outside, you would think that they're really happy, successful people. He said, but the interesting thing is on the other side, there was also a, sort of a shadow side to their experience. And that was that they also had the highest rates of divorce. They had the highest rates of addiction and substance abuse. They had the highest rates of depression of almost any sort, category of people. And he said, why is this happening? Why do people who seem so successful also struggle with these foundational components of their life? And so he wrote this book to answer that question. And this is what he found. He said, what makes a CEO or an influential leader valuable to an organization is their ability to see into the future to see a reality that doesn't yet exist and to catalyze a group of people to achieve that goal. He said, but the problem with that is that these types of people often live in what he called the gap, the distance between where you are and where you wanna be. And so even though they can look back in their life and see that they've achieved so many things, the space that they live in is all the things that they still haven't achieved yet. And he said, that's become so discouraging to someone and he said that research after research has shown that if you can train your mind to focus on the things that you have accomplished more than you focus on the things that you haven't, you have like a really healthy internal system. And he said it's so important that they did one study of these nuns who took journals from a bunch of years and they said these nuns who had a positive, uh, remembered their past experience from a positive perspective lived five to 10 years longer than people who had a negative remembering of their past. Today, I want to talk about the power of remembering your past. And to do that, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 4. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 1, it says, When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take the 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan and carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. Last week, we read about Israel's first test. 
And that was to cross the Jordan River. And as soon as the priest we read stepped into the water, the flow of the river stopped from the top and it went into the Red Sea uh, below them. And the river stopped until every one of the 1.5 to 2 million Israelites crossed the Jordan. And this, this was this amazing miracle. It was a generational miracle, a miracle that these people had hoped and believed that God would perform on their behalf, but had never experienced yet up until this point. And, uh, and if it were any one of us, chances are, as soon as we crossed through that Jordan, it would have been a moment of celebration. In fact, if, they were, if we were thinking in terms of generational patterns, as soon as their parents crossed the Red Sea as they were fleeing Egypt, that's exactly what they did. They started singing songs. They like wrote this song that they all started singing in celebration of this victorious moment that God had accomplished on their behalf. But that's not what the second generation did. We're told, notice, the first thing they did was not a celebration. They didn't post on TikTok about it. They didn't throw a party. It says that Joshua set up a memorial, that he tells 12 of the leaders, from, one from each of the tribe, to go and grab a stone and pile it up where they were camped at. And so the question is, is why? Why was the first thing that they did was to set up a memorial? I think maybe on one hand, uh, they didn't want to be like their parents because the pattern of their parents was that God worked in a really powerful way on their behalf and then almost immediately they forgot what God had done and the next time they faced a test, they did not trust that God would be with them again. And so in some sense, it seems like maybe that's why they wanted to set up this, this memorial to remember what God had done. But Joshua actually tells us why they did it in, in verse 21. It says, then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground for the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes and he kept it dry until you were all across just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up and we had all crossed over. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. Did you hear what Joshua said? He said the memorial was not for you, it was for your children. He said it was for the next generation because God wanted them to know about his power, his ability to perform a miraculous feat on behalf of his faithful people. He wanted them to know about his love, that he made a way for his children until every single one of them crossed that Jordan River. But I think maybe more importantly than all of these is that he wanted them to know about his faithfulness because notice the way that he communicates it. He says, look what I did for your parents when I led them through the Red Sea. And look what I just did for you as I led you through the Jordan River. And the implication is that if God did it for for the first generation, and then he did it for the second generation, would he not do it again for us? I wrestled for a few years uh, in college and a uh, mediocre wrestler, but, uh, but I had big dreams. I had big dreams, and so I had posters of Olympic champions up in my room, and I had a picture of Rocky getting to the steps of the, those, the I don't even know what those are, the, in Philadelphia. 
And, uh, and I remember uh, all those things are important in the way that it like, shaped my mind as I thought about wrestling. And then I remember walking into my college wrestling room for the first time, and there were only two things on the wall of this wrestling room, and there were two banners. The first banner said, 1996 Pac-10 champions. The second banner said, 1999 Pac-10 champions. Do you know what that did for the rest of us? It caused us to dream. Every single person in that room thought, what if we could win the Pac-10 champions, championship again? That's, that's what this was doing for, this, for the people of Israel. It was a memorial. It reminded them about what was possible through God. And you guys might not have noticed this as you walked into the building today. You guys probably have no recollection of this. You can go find it after service. But on the front of this building is a plaque, and it has a verse from Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. And this is what it says. It says, so built we the walls, for the people had a mind to work. Harry M. Lakety, Jr., 1969. That's what the plaque says. And the passage is in reference to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, where Nehemiah is in Babylon, and he leads a bunch of people, a bunch of Israelites back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And that verse from several thousand years ago in 1969 inspired this church to have a vision to build this property. Because what most of you probably don't know, some of you are new to the church, some of you have been here uh, for a minute, but what you may not know is that the property that we're leveraging today was built by a church called First Baptist Church Campbell. And that church was established nearly 70 years ago. And, uh, and it was just this small little missionary church. We called a missionary church back in the day. It's just a startup church. But this small little missionary church labored for 17 years before they could ever build a building on this property. They labored for 17 years before they could ever purchase land, three and a half acres in the city of Campbell, to build this property. And some of you might not also know this, but there's a precious lady in our church. Her name is Kate. And I told her I would be mentioning her today, and she threatened me with her cane. So, so don't, don't cross Kate. But uh, she and her husband moved to this area in 1965, and she has been a, a faithful member of this church ever since. And years ago, yep. I told her I was going to ask her to stand, and she said she would fake an injury. So, so, so we're not going to do that. But it was real powerful to hear her talk about the history of this church because uh, she said uh, that in the, in the early days when they were building out this property, there was only one paid person on, on the whole project. It was the contractor slash architect. And she said that, that we weren't a rich church. We were just a faithful church. And she said that, uh, that it was the people of this church that built out the first buildings on this property. They said that they would show up in the evenings and they would bring their tools and everybody would just pitch in and they would come on the weekends and they'd stay late in the afternoons and everybody just put a little bit of sweat equity into this property. And it's so powerful to think about the fact that today we are leveraging the vision that someone had 70 years ago. Can you imagine? That there was just this small little group of people who said, I think that God is calling us 70 years ago to lead a church in one of the fastest growing regions in America. And they answered that call. And they started gathering faithfully, little by little, just coming together to start a Bible study and allow for people to participate in what God was doing. 
And then 50 years ago, someone had a vision. They said, why don't we purchase property in this area? If we're going to be the type of church that's going to have generational impact, we've got to be a staying church. And they bought, purchased this property in faith, and they started building these buildings in faith. And 30 years ago, over the course of the last 50 years, generation after generation of people said, we're willing to keep doing the thing that is going to outlast our lifetime. We're willing to invest beyond ourselves. And that's exactly what that memorial was meant to be for the children of Israel. They said, in the future, when your children ask you what this is here for, you will tell them about God's faithfulness. A few years ago, I, uh, I read a book, and it was talking about the two halves of life. And the author said, in the first half of life, you're consumed with building. You're building your, your life. You're trying to establish your own identity. And he said, in a sense, in the early half of your life, you're trying to prove to yourself that you are who you think you are. He said, but then at some point you get to the second half of your life. And you know that you're in the second half of life when you're closer to your death, you're closer to the end than you were to the beginning. And he said, the second half of life is about legacy. And you begin to realize and you begin to think and ask yourself some of those hard questions. What am I leaving behind? What is my legacy going to be? And it's really interesting for me to think about the fact today that there will be people that we never met who had a vision to invest in a kingdom resource that blesses us today. They invested in a kingdom resource that would outlast their own lifetime. And today we are the recipients of that blessing. This building is a, is a memorial of the faithfulness of people who came before us and said, God, I'm willing to take what I have and I'm willing to, to do without so that I can invest in something that will outlast my lifetime. It's kind of interesting when you think about wealth, there's a concept called generational wealth, and basically the idea, and I'm not a finance person, but this is a layman's understanding of the concept, but generational wealth is basically you have uh, one generation who earns money and you continue to pass it down until that money begins to accumulate and you have like this ongoing generational wealth. But the problem with this is that this is really difficult to do, to pass from one generation to the next. And, uh, and one of the most famous case studies was of uh, the Vanderbilts. Uh, you got, have a guy named Cornelius Vanderbilt. And when he died in 1877, he passed on $95 million to his son. $95 million. In today's term, that would be $2.1 million. And at the time, it was one of the largest, uh, largest uh, consolidations of for, uh, wealth uh, in the world. And so he passes on $95 million to his son. Within 10 years, his son doubles that money. And, uh, and that's pretty impressive. But the sad part is what happens after. Within two generations, his grandchildren and great-grandchildren have completely squandered that wealth. And this is why generational wealth is so hard to maintain. Because oftentimes, this is the process. The first generation, they sacrifice and work for it. The second generation will leverage it. The third generation takes it for granted. And the fourth generation completely squanders it. We don't want to be those types of people. We don't want to be that generation where God has given us such a great opportunity and we have squandered it. Where we've not taken the opportunity to leverage the fresh faith and the fresh life that God has brought in this church and to be a church who never thinks about 
the legacy that we're leaving behind. And so this is the time of year where we start to remember what God has done on behalf of this church. And we say, God, will you do it again? God, would you be willing to do it again? Can we step out in faith and trust that God, in this next season of life, you're gonna be faithful like you have been in the past? And, uh, and so every, every year around this time, we begin a campaign that we call For the Future. And it's where we start thinking beyond our own generation. We started this three years ago. Some of you were a part of that conversation. And it was a really interesting time because, uh, because we started thinking about legacy. And I remember that first year, we said, God, uh, we have struggled so, for so many years trying to have a consistent location. We moved several times in the early days. We were like moving every week. People would text us and say, where are you guys at? Are you still meeting at the school? And we'd have to say, if you want to come to church at Eden, you got to find us every week. Okay, that's not, that's not the way you grow a church. But, um, but I remember we finally got to this point. We said, God, we want a permanent facility in this place because we want to have generational impact. And so we did our first For the Future uh, impact offering and we raised $38,000 to purchase a building in the Bay Area. Silly, right? Crazy, right? We're si we were grateful. Okay, if you gave to that, know that we were grateful. But we also understood, we also understood that $38,000 wouldn't even pay for the real estate agent to purchase a property in the Bay Area. But we just saw it as seeds of faith. God, you see our heart. We're willing to do what we can. And in that same year, we started a partnership with this church, and God provided this amazing location for us, to, for us to be at. And that's how God has worked in this life. We wanted to go deeper, but we said, God, we also want to go wider. That means we want the name of Jesus to flow beyond the walls of this church. And we said, we are committed to being a generous church, a church that doesn't just uh, hoard everything that comes in, but Lord, we release it. We release it believing that you can do more with it than we can. And so we, we cast vision. We said we want to be a generous church. And the reason why is because we would have never gotten started if someone wasn't generous to us. We have, we have people who gave to this church on the other side of this country who would never see what it would become. But they gave in faith, believing that God could do something in the Silicon Valley. And so we said we're going to do that. And over the last... Six and a half years, our church, our little church has given over $200,000 to ministries outside the walls of this church. We have helped, we have helped to plant churches in our own city because we know that Eden Church cannot do it alone. It is not about our kingdom, it is about God's kingdom. And this is the beautiful part of it is that out of the six churches that we have helped plant over the last six and a half years, do you know that when they meet on a Sunday morning, the collective attendance of that church is over a thousand people? This little church, you guys did that. Your generosity did that. And each year, over the last three years, you guys have given generously to invest in this property. And we've been like, attacking it in phases, okay? If you were here three years ago, we were in the organized phase. And we were cleaning up just the few rooms that we needed to host service on a Sunday morning. You might remember one of the first rooms we cleaned up was a kid's room. We redid the carpet and we painted it. And what was so beautiful about that experience is we leveraged the resources that came at the end of the year to clean up that room. And the very next year, we outgrew that space. We started, 
We started with like six kids and then it went to 15 kids. So we had to open up another office. All right, we were sending our, our kids, we're going to office spaces. And, uh, and we were so grateful for it. And then we had to open up another office space and another office space. And then some of you remember last year, we had to go to two services, not because we we're packing out the building, because our kids were growing too fast. And they made us go to two services. And then we had the resources to fix up that whole wing of rooms. And we painted them and we put flooring and we bought furniture for the kids. And what was so powerful, if you were here last week, we had nearly 200 people on campus at church and about 50 of those people were children. Two weeks ago, we had one, one classroom. Our elementary school kids had 19 kids in the classroom. Uh, on Sunday, we need to be praying for our kids workers, okay, our kids team. They had 19 kids, but that's not sustainable. In the near future, we're gonna have to expand our kids ministry. But this is the principle that we've learned every single year, is every time that we have acted in faith and we fixed up, fixed up some part of this property, God has used it to bless people. God has used it to minister to more people in our community. He continues to fill it with more people. This year, we've had more leaders than we've ever had before. We've had more people in service, more people participating in group, more people demonstrating generosity to this church than we have ever had before in the history of our church. And what we're beginning to see is that there's momentum building. And it all started with these little acts of faith from people that we never even knew who were willing to sacrifice what they had to create space and to invest in something that would outlast their lifetime. There's momentum. And over and over again, it has boiled back to the vision of this church. And it ain't flashy, and it may not be impressive, but we said all we came here to do was to lead people to follow Jesus. And if you were here last week, you saw Carrie get baptized, and she shared her testimony. And Carrie is like the poster child for Eden Church. And it was so powerful and beautiful and wonderful and every person that has ever invested in this church shares in that victory in her life. Because without your generosity, we would not have seen year after year people stepping into faith and taking that step to grow in their relationship with God. It has been your investment and your time and your energy. And so the way that we see it is that the baton has been passed to our generation. That we've had faithful people ahead of us do what they did and we received the blessing today, but now it's our turn. They passed the baton to us. And so at the end of the year, this, is, this has been our rhythm. We said we're going we're gonna to collectively act in faith as a church, and we've set two goals. The first goal is 100% participation from every person who calls Eden Church home. We want every person or family unit, so we don't expect husband and wives to give separately, but... God bless you if you do. Um, we're, we're not going to return the check. But we're asking everyone, everyone that calls Eden Church home to go to God in prayer over the next four to five weeks and say, God, how do you want me to be a part of investing in the future? How do you want to leverage my resources today to make a difference in the lives of people that perhaps I will never meet and so from what we can tell, we have about 125 uh, individual slash 
family units in our church. And so our first goal is that we would have 100, 125%, 125% participation would be great, also great, but 100% uh, participation. Uh, our secondary goal, and, and this is what we say, it's not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. Because on the back end of what happens today, we want you to be able to celebrate knowing that you, you were in it. You were part of what God did. Our secondary goal is to raise $200,000. $75,000 of that will go to ministries outside the walls of the church, uh, which has always been a part of our deal. We're going to be a generous church. And if we can't be a generous, then it ain't worth existing. We're going to set aside $25,000 to Next Gen Ministries because that is our fastest growing ministry in this church. We just, we really have been struggling con to contain it. Um, so we're going we're gonna to invest resources. We want our children to experience God in a powerful way. And I'm telling you, we want kids to love the local church. I can't tell you how many kids I know that just had so many bad experiences in church. We don't want, to be the, we don't want that to be the testimony of this community. We want them to love showing. We want them to drag their parents to church on Sunday, okay? Because we know how transformative it, it is for them. We want them to experience God in a powerful way. Um, and so 25,000 will be dedicated to next generation ministries and then 100,000 is gonna go toward the property. Uh, the property looks pretty good, okay? Uh, we're grateful for what we have, but there's still so much, so much more to do. We have a bunch of different opportunities. We wanna increase our security. We wanna increase, if, if you've been to the ladies' restroom, God bless you, thank you for being so generous, but there's, there's plumbing that needs to be uh, taken care of. Uh, last week, we had 90 cars in our parking lot. We only have 89 official spots, okay? These are what we call good problems, but they are, they are problems that we do need to address if we want to continue expanding the reach of this community as a church, inviting people into what is happening here. And can I just say this? I feel so privileged to be a part of this community. Maybe God's, one of God's greatest evidence of his, of his love for this church are the people that he brings into this community. We have amazing people who have been serving this church behind the scenes for so many years. We have the woes who have been so faithfully serving that you, some of you know of, some of you don't. We have Dennis and the Matsuokos who have just been so faithfully serving. I wish I didn't mention names because I, there's just a list of people who every week show up and serve faithfully to this church. They've given so much of their time and their resources to see this thing uh, happen and so uh, we get to we get to keep investing in this church and we've just told ourselves we said God if we can we want to maxim maximize every square inch of this property and we want to ask you to allow for generations to come to allow for this this piece of land to be a beacon of hope in our city because I don't want us to forget how faithful God has been to us because it's not hard for me to remember how desperate I was before I found Jesus. It's not hard for me to remember how lonely I was. And if we forget who God was to us, we will never think about the thousands and thousands of people who are within a mile radius of this church who so desperately need God, who so desperately need to be reminded of his love. And so that's what this is about over the next five weeks. We're going to say, God, we know that there's so many, so many more people that you want to bring into the fold of this family. 
Would you let us be a part of it? And so what we're going to do from week to week is every week I'm just going to give you an update. We're not going to talk about the finances. That's the secondary goal. The first goal is that we want 100 uh, we want 100% participation. So next Sunday, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to say, we've had X amount of people participate. And whatever number that is, we are going to celebrate. We're just going to thank God for whoever felt moved and prompted to participate in what God is doing in this church. And this is between you and God. There is no pressure uh, between us and you. Whatever you decide, we're going to still be friends and we're going to grab coffee and hang out. Okay? We're not going to be mad at each other or anything like that. This is between you and God, but, but I do want to challenge you. Let God stretch your faith in this season and see what he does with it. Because that is what the whole journey of faith is. It's saying, God, season after season, I'm going to trust you with a little bit more. I'm going to trust you in my relationships. I'm going to trust you in my career. I'm going to trust you in my family. I'm going to trust you with my finances every season. Just handing more of, more of your life off to God. So we're going to remember God's faithfulness. And I know that maybe there are some of you in the room today and you thought, I can't, I, is this what church is all about? Always talking about money. And, uh, and no, do this once a year. <laughs> once a year. So if you come on the first Sunday of November every year, yes, it will feel like... That's all we talk about. But there are some of you today that have come and you're like, I, I, I don't even know where I stand with God myself. And if that's you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to step into the faith of a community of ridiculously generous people. And do you know why that is a value at this church? It's because we serve a ridiculously sacrificial God. And he gave his life so that you would not have to carry the weight of your own decisions. Because the Bible tells us that one moment, one moment to decide that you want to step into faith with God changes everything from the inside out. And so we're going to go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. And this morning, if you're ready to step into faith, I'm going to ask you to pray this simple prayer after me in your heart. And it's nothing special about the words. It's whether or not these words reflect the desire of your heart. You can repeat after me in your heart. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for seeing me in my struggle. And thank you for reminding me of your love for me. God, I'm ready to trust you today. I'm ready to start doing things your way because I've tried my way and it's not working. Today I'm ready to believe that you loved me enough to send your son to die on that cross and that one act would wipe away every bit of my sin. It would cleanse me from the top of my head to the tips of my toes. And that you would no longer see me in my failure, but you would see me in my victory. As the beauty of Jesus covers me. Today I trust that you love me that much. And I pray 
that you would give me the strength to step out of the old life and into the new, believing you can do more with my life than I can. In Jesus' name, I believe. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. And I'm gonna ask for those of you who prayed that prayer in your heart to just take one more step of faith. And we're just gonna make this a pattern in our life because in every season, God stretches us to take steps of faith. And if you prayed that prayer on the count of three, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand because whenever we respond physically to what God is doing spiritually in our life, it solidifies a moment for us. And every week we pray that this, this Sunday would be a moment for someone whether it is stepping into faith for the first time or reconnecting with God after we've been distant for a while, that it would reinvigorate the spiritual nature of our lives. And so if that's you, if you prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. Two, you didn't step into this place on accident. Three, go ahead and raise your hand this morning if you prayed that prayer. I see you, 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 I see you. I see you. Father, we thank you for every life that is being moved in this place. It's not the band. It's not the message. It's not the people. God, is your spirit that steps into the deep spaces, the deep crevices of our heart that we never want anyone to see. But God, you expose us not to judge us, but God, to cleanse us and to make us whole again. And Father, we pray that as we go about our day that we would never forget the power of the redeeming work that you've done in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you do me a favor this morning and would you celebrate every person who stepped into faith for the first time?